See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. <laughs> it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derek Podcast. So this is the volume for your headphones. Okay, sweet. You're on number line two. Okay. Have you ever used like a microphone like this? Not recently, but these are pretty sick. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you've used a microphone. You're yeah. a guy that knows how to I, use it's it. Not, like, not as big as a wind reducer right here, but oh. the phone thing. But And I did wipe all the COVID and stuff off. Okay, sweet. Uh, <laughs> and I do, I replace them a lot and everything because people coming through. So uh, I think that's going to be good. I think we'll be able to get the, the fan noise edited out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know how to use microphones. So it's, some people, it's, I, I know... I have to stay very mindful to be, they got the cone, like their uh, condenser mics. Oh, geez. So they don't work from the side. They're a lot probably like the stand-up mics in a sense if you want to be. Yeah, so definitely that trying place. to keep it centered. Dude, you got a, you got a good microphone voice. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I've been considering a, either a podcast or a radio. That's kind of okay. do a morning show. Radio, like on a, like traditional radio? Yeah, like FM radio. I don't know if AM radio still gets any popularity. I think just maybe for some sports, really. Yeah. I know that, uh, yeah, radio is just kind of, in general, I mean, it hasn't, it's a fascinating concept, I think, radio. Even satellite radio had a really strong place for a while. But Yeah, it's interesting. It's like the podcasting, but it was like more, you had to have like a specific type of platform for that podcast. So, yeah, it's interesting how it all evolves. Yeah, it is. It is pretty crazy. In the last year, the amount of podcasts that have come into existence is oh, uh, yeah. significant. But the cool part is, what is there a couple billion people on the planet? So mm -hmm. there's there's room for everyone. That's true. And it's awesome, you know, because everyone's got their own little niche with their podcast they talk about. Um, and it's always interesting to see what new podcasts come out there. Some of them are a little weird. Uh, a little bit strange, um, but for the most part, though, I think, you know, over time, those podcasts develop into really cool things. And um, it's really awesome to see that. Yeah. You know, it's not like so restricted anymore where like, we're only allowed to have like so many outlets for people to kind of like get their voice heard now. It's like this. You can do it anyway. Anyone, anybody who's got like an iPhone 4 really can can start a podcast. Well, yeah. And it's it's a uh, consistency is big two when you yeah. look at you know i i was I, a buddy of mine's working on a, on a podcast so we were doing some research and i was like i don't know here's what i you know here's what i've seen or what i know and we found one that was really identical in a sense of the type of podcast you wanted to launch mm -hmm. but they were so inconsistent with their posting that I, I know when you have an audience or any anything whether it's a radio show or a tv show like and there's expectations even the algorithms on youtube and things like that mm -hmm. they want you to post consistently at a certain time so that people know what to expect yeah and that thing it's probably the and that's probably the hard part for most people is like it's actual work putting into the actual podcast like okay maybe it's an hour of recording but then you have to go back and edit it uh, and then, you know, making the podcast art for that episode, like it's, it's an actual job for people. And I don't think they actually either don't know how to do it or want to put the effort into learning that part. It's, uh, and, the, I don't even know if this is true, but I love saying it because it sounds really cool. And it's, uh, they, the, there's an old business saying like 70% of a, a rocket uses its fuel, you know, getting off the ground. And I think for most things, it is that initial, you know, for podcasts, that initial setup, that initial yeah. getting the feed set up or, or like saying are all those kind of things that. For some people, that's actually the fun part. But then when it comes down to recording time, it's, oh my gosh, people are going to, the first time someone hears their voice in a microphone, they freak out. Right. But you get used to it uh, after a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, once you get comfortable, I think, I think just also being consistent with what you're talking about too. I think that's, you know, sometimes you don't feel the same energy every week to put in for those topics or whatever it is you're talking about. Yeah, that's so, if, if we do some merch for this show, it's it's definitely I've already have it in my mind. It's going to be like a UFO and a heart and uh, like the globe and the the front's going to say, what's the podcast about? Because that's like <laughs> the number one thing that I hear. And then I'm like, you just have to check the guest list because there's not a theme. It's just fun. Right. Yeah. I like uh, I was thinking about maybe a podcast where every episode is just a new podcast. So if you can't think of anything, we'll just do a different one. You know, one episode on mukbanging and we'll just do it. That's the podcast for this week. Okay. On yeah. what? On like mukbangs. What is that? So mukbanging is when uh, someone eats like 10,000 calories in one sitting and they record it. 
And so like, you know, some obviously videos of people do it with like Cheesecake Factory or, you know, just anything really like uh, Asian food or McDonald's. They'll put down like 10 cheeseburgers and 100 nuggets oh. and a soda. That sounds just like you said Cheesecake Factory. That sounds like an appetizer. There would be 10,000 calories. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, so, well, that's, man, I've never even heard that term. That sounds, it actually makes me feel kind of weird. Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> it seems a really kind of unhealthy, but it also seems kind of fun. You know, you can do a, you know, like a mukbang on just like health food, like a charcuterie mukbang. Hmm. I mean, that's uh, America, right? That has to be yeah. America. That's not like that originated in some. I think actually uh, Korea. I believe or Japan, one of the two, they really, they love it. And so this guy will eat, you know, just 10,000 calorie noodles. Dude, well, there was that uh, professional eater in Japan, the guy that would like crank out the all-you-can-eat sushi and then Kobayashi. Yeah, Yeah. that's impressive. That guy's a beast. I watched his 30 for 30 on ESPN. (laughs) He had a whole process. It's four steps to get it into his mouth and he masters each step and then brings them together. It's like a certain amount of energy just for eating. That's whether it's podcasting, whether it's comedy, which I, I don't want to. Uh, I actually was kind of curious. I was thinking about like, oh, this is cool, you know, because that's how I uh, discovered you was over at the comedy club in La Jolla, which is an amazing uh, spot. And I can imagine there's there's probably questions that people get in different professions where it's like, oh, not that question. That's <laughs> like, come on, what are, what are some things that when people find out you do comedy that you're like, oh, come on, man. Um, I think. Most people are pretty chill about it now. When I first started out, I think I learned that you should kind of wait a while before you tell people, um, just because I feel like some people come in with like different expectations with what you know what comedy you're doing. Like, oh, are you performing at this club and all that? And it's, I think it's you know when you start out, you're just doing open mics and then you're just trying to build it from there. And so now when I uh, when people find that I do comedy, it's like yeah, this is what I'm doing. You can see me performing at these places, um, and then I still get up every night at those open mics and things like that. And I think after a while, people kind of get that it is a kind of like a it is a long term kind of thing where you have to be doing it for a while. You know, some guys you that come through headline the La Jolla store have been doing it for like 23 years. You know, some guys have been doing it for, you know, so they're always in a double digit kind of situation um, before they come in. You just kind of have to like not really tell that people flat out. You just tell them you just have fun, really. Um, but yeah. One of my favorite things when I'm trying to introduce someone to comedy. Uh-huh. Is they're like, well, how do we know they're going to be good? And I'm like, well, they're they're professionals, so yeah, <laughs> it def- yeah, it depends on yeah. There's there's definitely some bad comedy, but that's usually because you know people are still working out how to figure out how to be yeah. on stage and how to regurgitate those jokes that they had in their head um, and put them out there and kind of get that rhythm going. And that's a, I mentioned that's a process. I mean, communication, like just learning how to communicate effectively, and then to have the. Uh, to develop the skill to work on the skill, like I said, working out, yeah. you know, being able to deliver it in a way to where you get X number of people in a room to buy into what you're thinking. Yeah, definitely. And it's a very meticulous process because you have to go back and listen to yourself and like, you know, listen to how your toning is with each word. Were they laughing at certain parts? See where you can kind of even punch up little parts to make them laugh even harder. Um, and then even if you're like, okay, well, they're kind of feeling that. Let's see if we can kind of expand on a little part with other things and then grow it from there. Um, and that's really a long process. Sometimes it takes, you know, over the course of, you know, a week, you can kind of work on it through there. Um, or sometimes even just like months too, hmm. or you just kind of are just hanging out one day and just realize, oh, that's the tag I should probably put in there instead. Let's try it that way. And then you go on stage and it works out and it's like, cool. Then you go back and kind of then fine tune it with there from there. And so it's a really nice process when it starts to work. Um, but definitely when there's times where you're like, I don't even know where to go with this. Like, I don't even know how these bones are going to be structured. Um, and where I'm going to go with it. And then you just kind of either just drop it or you just kind of try and work it from a completely different angle. Um, but it's a really fun process to kind of work the progress of that joke into something that becomes sustainable and really kind of nice. That is, I mean, I heard some, you know, I'm obviously not a comic. So mm-hmm. I heard some things that sound like they could be, you said tags and bones, like that's. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, is that, is that like terminology? That yeah. You... Uh, so um, when you go into a joke and you're writing it out, you're kind of just saying like when I say like there's see if there's any bones in there. I'm talking about let's say I'm talking about a certain premise and there's a couple of words that got laughs on it. Maybe those are bones that can be used as a tag and a tag is then um, sort of like the it's like a setup in the joke where okay, you're saying, OK, I, I like eggs. And then the tagline is why you kind of like eggs and the funny reasons behind it mm-hmm. that kind of lead up then to the punchline that kind of tie it all together. Yeah. Just so I, yeah. there's a, a 
I remember my, kind of my first experience, like getting a group of people to laugh. So I was doing some public speaking stuff mm-hmm. and I was a setup speaker for this guy. That's like, it was felt a lot of pressure because the guy that was speaking after me is like the guy and had been doing it for, you know, 20 plus years or whatever. And I'm like, this has to be good. So I'm rehearsing yeah. daily in the mirror, recording myself, listening, trying to pluck out words, insert words. And I had this one spot that just came out as I was rehearsing that seemed really funny. And I'm like, cool, this is where people are just going to like bust up laughing. Yeah. So I'm live, I'm in front of 80 people or whatever. And uh, uh, I get to the, I'm like a couple, like a sentence or two in front of the part where I thought everybody would start laughing. And they start laughing at like what I thought was the, the setup, I guess, to the joke. I don't know what to do because I'd, I'd never had that experience before. Mm-hmm. And I realized I'm like, I just was got quiet and just kind of let it soak in. I remember this guy in the front just like laughing so vividly, big heavy set guy like laughing so hard, his belly and body was shaking. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, like this is this is cool. This is a really cool experience. Nice, yeah, and that's that's what it's all about too. And definitely, you did the right thing too by pausing and just letting him laugh it out. And then did you continue and do the punchline after that? I did, and I I. I wish I could remember, maybe I can somewhere if I dig deep enough, like mm-hmm. what happened afterwards, but there was still that sense of laughter from the first part that oh, was nice. pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, it was, I also had a ton of fear of public speaking. So that was only my maybe third time talking to a group of maybe more than 10 people. Oh, nice. It was a, it was a big, a big step up. I felt like, yeah. Right on. Yeah, that's definitely uh, the fear of talking in front of people, something you have to kind of embrace and get over. Um, and once you're kind of comfortable with that, then it becomes different levels of then trying to embrace those people. When you get to like higher levels of comedy, like when you perform at the comedy store in La Jolla, it's a pretty important stage. So, you know, you definitely want to perform well. And when you don't, it definitely stings with you for a little bit. And but it pushes you to get better. Yeah, man, that's um, a uh, the history there. Oh, yeah. And the history of the comedy store in general from L.A. to you. I mean, not not everybody, unless you're really into comedy, may realize that. How did you how long have you been doing this? Uh, since uh, like December of 2015. And then probably the first like six months, I probably I wasn't doing it like full time. I was kind of just like going to mics maybe once or twice a week, just trying to get more comfortable on stage. And then in around that time, and then I was like, you know what? You just kind of have to just get over it and just get on stage and just try and work it out just try and talk take it take your time you're gonna have to take some time anyways to get better so just try and figure out how to be coherent coherent on stage um and then just learn how to then write jokes and get better at telling them on stage um so yeah so almost like oh probably about five years now i'd say okay was there a uh, do you remember the the moment where you decided like that's what i'm doing yeah i was actually was talking to a friend and he was like, so like, let's be real. What do you want to do the rest of your life that's going to make you happy? And it's like, well, I, I want to do comedy. I want to make people laugh. He's like, okay, well, you should check out the Comedy Palace over in Kearney Mesa. Um, get started there and then continue and see if you like it from there. And, and that's where I kind of started. Then I learned about open mics around the rest of San Diego. And then he started doing that more often. Um, and then he started learning about other things going on in San Diego with comedy, like all the different mics going on. Um, and then he started to just do the runs every night, trying to get up and just try and get better. Uh, just try and promote coherent, funny things. I don't do any of the editing. I don't want to touch that <laughs> stuff. That was part of the, the deal with myself on doing this. Is yeah, that's part of the <laughs> podcast work is the editing part, having to listen and go back and then cut stuff. Yeah, I know. So, uh, so Comedy Palace getting into it. So that's six years. That's six years of comedy, and part time, and then working into it full time. So, about how much time would you say right now with where you're at? Do, do you spend per week, work, like just working on it, working it out, delivering? Just like drive, just like writing every night. Really, as soon as I get off, like, as soon as I get home from wherever I'm have gone up, you go back and you listen to it, and then write it out, and just see what you can do better. And you already kind of had that idea of what you're trying to do better as soon as you get off stage, because you're like, oh man, I really messed up on that tag right there, or I really forgot to insert that tag, or you know what, next time I'm going to try and do this joke differently, I'll do this joke first and then I'll transition into this other joke. Um, And then this joke, I'll try and punch up those tags or some jokes just didn't work at all completely. Um, And then you just go back and like, what happened? Um, But definitely just going back and sitting down and kind of writing it out and listening to your voice, how you said it. um, It was kind of important too. And definitely like when I'm working it out in the beginning too, sometimes I won't have the same kind of energy that it is on the finished product. Like when I say when I'm looking for bones too, I'm literally just trying to see if a couple of words are funny alone. And if they are, then maybe I can kind of expand on it. 
Uh, but it's definitely a, it's a process. And then, you know, you get up in the morning, you kind of write down your thoughts. Um, what were you thinking? You can try and write new jokes as well, too. And then you kind of just go about your day, um, just enjoying it. And then randomly things will pop into your head and you'll kind of make note of it and go from there. So, yeah, it's kind of like a continuational process. You're always like your mind is always kind of like in this slow cooking stew where you're adding new ingredients, where it's just like your jokes and things like that. And you're trying to make this this really good pasta or whatever it is trying to make. So, yeah, it's a very, very continuous process. Yeah, not definitely a number I can probably put 24-7, maybe in my dreams too. I'm, I'm thinking of tags. <laughs> I have no idea yet, but... <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. That's like, like yeah. recognizing the funny in life. It's almost like you're just extracting from your from your everyday. You know, I, I think of like different comedians in different styles because I've heard in a sense that some markets or cities or areas are, you know, tougher crowds than others. And you you have... Comedians, I think, that have uh, uh, maybe universal jokes that apply to everyone and then some that do have a particular style. The guy you were opening for when I saw he was going, I was like, I got to be there. I love John Heffron. And some of my favorite jokes from him in the past were, I believe, about like his relationship with his wife. And so I'm there and there's part of me that's like, oh, bust out a wife joke. And then (laughs) you hear the super sad story of like, but he handled it, you know, like pretty, pretty awesome person in terms of probably not doing a lot of wife jokes anymore mm-hmm. other than telling this story. And it was, uh, you still had the same style and still theme, but that wasn't, you know, part of his bit anymore, which is really interesting. Yeah. You sort of, you're growing as a, you're continually growing as a person and as comedy, you kind of helps you kind of grow as a person. I feel like too, because it takes you, you, you look back on everything too. You observe everything with more patience and you're like, okay, that's definitely, you know, it's just how it is. Or even with like kids too, you look at kids and you're kind of comparing it to also to your comedy as well, where it's a slowly developing thing that takes, you know, 16 years before you're like, okay, I feel safe letting this go off into the world on its own Mm. kind of thing. So yeah, it's definitely a lot of life growing processes and definitely comedy helps you that because you're always thinking about it and you're always talking about yourself. What's so funny about it or breaking down what happened and you know what, you know, obviously there's some blame on you too. And what things you could have done better, would have done differently or what you're stubborn about it and things like that. And so it's definitely a lot of like breaking down of, of like your life too. There has to be a tremendous amount of, of self-assessment, it sounds like, in reality. I, you know, sometimes we're around people that uh, I'm the kind of person when I see it's cloudy outside, I go, oh man, what did I, what did I do? Like that has to be my <laughs> fault. Like I got to figure out how to make it better. Right. And like, all right, that was it. Did I, you know, go to sleep on time last night. Was I whatever? Was I, <laughs> was I being nice to everybody in traffic? Right. And then on the opposite side, and we're, we're probably all guilty of this. I can't say that I'm exempt from this at all too, but kind of pointing to outside circumstances. Now, if you're up there on stage and there's a room full of people and you, you know, crack a joke and, and someone, you know, it's, it doesn't hit, people aren't laughing. Mm-hmm. Can't really go, oh man, the, I mean, you could say the crowd is bad, but it's probably not going to help you get a whole lot better. Yeah. I don't think you ever blame the crowd. Um, I mean, you could blame the crowd if they're laughing at a, a certain comic you're, you don't like, but that's, <laughs> that's one of the situations I guess you can blame the crowd, but no, it's never their fault. Cause you have to go in there and you have to read them. What are they feeling? And you have to also adjust your energy to them as well too, or also just make sure that you adjust the room's energy to then to be on your level. So you go in there with your first like opening set and you have to come, you have to wrestle set the tone of what you're going to be about mm-hmm. in those first few seconds. So if you go in there after a comedian who's really high energy and they're just loving it. And you go up there with really low energy. Like I'm a pretty low energy kind of guy. And I go up there with low energy. I've got to make sure I address that right at the beginning instead of just trying to keep writing that and just kind of hit him with it like blindly. Mm. So kind of just like, you know, taking your time in the beginning or just kind of say something like really chill out and or just to address that you're going to be chill would be kind of, you know, let them know what you're about. And then they'll start to understand you and then they'll listen to you and then they start to feel you and laugh, things like that. So we said it's important about addressing things too. I mean, just in, in general in life, there's yeah. a, a guy that I uh, got to learn some really cool. He like was, was really incredible at running events and and managing large groups of people. And he just called it as if And I, I started doing that naturally noticing like, man, this is really weird and I don't want to feel weird about it. And everybody else is going to feel weird about it. So it has that tension, you know, the elephant in the room or whatever. So if I just, you know, laugh about it or say something about it, it kind of is like, yep. You know, totally true. I did a, a keynote speech once in Vegas for like a big conference mm. and I'm on the microphone and I was an hour and a half. And I was an hour. The event was an hour and a half behind schedule. It was a cannabis conference of all things. Now, 
I don't even smoke. I'm sitting there just like trying to remember the 40 minutes of talking that I had been rehearsing for the month ahead of time. And by the time I get up there, like I hadn't eaten. It was way later than it was supposed to be. The crowd is already kind of tired from the speakers going over. And I'm the big speaker for the day. I get up there, grab the microphone, start talking, and you hear this. (laughs) And I just had dry mouth. And I'm at a cannabis conference, and I'm starting to get a little nervous. I'm like, oh, man, didn't bring water up to the stage. Rookie Mm -hmm. move. And But there was a water glass, but I just started kind of narrating, going, man, does anybody else hear that? And just addressing it. And then I was like, is this my water? I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. And then I grabbed the water and there's stuff floating in it. So I'm literally <laughs> just kind of narrating it and everybody starts busting up laughing. I'm like, what well, that made me feel better, made them feel better about the weirdness. So Yeah, definitely. And when, when people get tired too, you can kind of sense they get tired. And then either you just don't care that they're tired and you just try and plow through your material <laughs> or you address it and be like, yeah, I'm tired too, you guys. I'm over here exhausted as well. Or, you know, just something to kind of pick them back up, um, give them their like their second wind or whatever. But yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Did you ever find out whose water that was? I uh, mean, I don't even, I even just thinking about that moment. Yeah, it was probably the speaker before me. Someone actually <laughs> brought me water from the side. They like ran over with water, which That's was funny. pretty cool. Like, oh yeah. my God, oh my God, this is not going right. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it was cool because everybody just started laughing. Because like if I just ignored it and kept talking and tried mm-hmm. to like without addressing it. And uh, I, I literally even thinking about the opening moment when I stood up there on stage, I can hear crickets in my head. And I know there were no crickets in the room, but it like just feels that strong. That's yeah. funny. You ever had any moments like that? Well, just crickets? Yeah, when I first started, um, sometimes, yeah, when I first started, not most, not recently, there are times where it kind of gets quiet, but it's not like crickets for a while. Because then at that point, I'm just like kind of just addressing that it's not going well. And then I kind of get in laughs on those things. And then I'll try and do material and then that bombs. And then you try and bring them back with that. And so it's like a, it's a tug and war battle. Um, but when I first started, it was kind of like there would be times where it just completely silent and I had no idea what to do and it just kind of got worse and worse. And then you just got the light and you just kept going worse and worse. And then <laughs> eventually you try and you get better at it. And uh, yeah, so it's it's definitely tough and it's definitely hard um, to deal with it. I think I get more upset about the silence than I am about the about the laughs that I get too. kind of like look forward. To, I guess I look forward to that more so I can look at look forward to get better at things. But um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely not fun. That's cool. The uh, you said the light—that's the like red light that goes off, like "Hey, get off stage" type thing. Yeah, it's like okay, you've got a minute left, wrap it up. Okay, now yeah. it's, now if if someone so like you were opening, I think you were the first uh, first person on stage. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're just like crushing it, do they let you keep going? No, no, it's no, because I mean they're, okay. they're not there to see me; they're there to see the headliner. And mm-hmm. also, you know, we're on a kind of like a limited time, especially with like the early show. So you know, you, you're five minutes, you get off stage, um, and that's it. Yeah, so you crush for those five minutes, good job, and then you just bring up the next guy. Um, cool. That'd be pretty cool if they did that. <laughs> get to work out and then the next stuff. thing you know the headliner doesn't get to go up anymore because i just crushed you hard <laughs> they might not even want to go up there, right like, no oh, no man. they'll still be fine but the headliners are usually like 10 times better than me anyway so like to see them get the different even harder laughs and it's like okay then you just go back and study them well that's so about six years how, how do you see yourself in terms of progression and and like what does it what does it mean to you to to be or, or even you know looking at being a headliner uh, I definitely think I've gotten better each year. I've been doing comedy and I've felt it. I definitely felt like myself kind of taking the next step and doing better things. I can do more time. Um, in terms of like a headliner role, you know, that that would be still, you know, several years away. I think right now it's just working about getting a really good 15, you know, tightening up as many five minute sets as I can. Um, and then just being able to do a really good 15 minute and then expanding it into, you know, 20 and then 25. Um, and then eventually if I can get, you know, if I can even get further than that, though, then we'll see about the headliner stuff. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself because comedy is, you know, it's so subjective. Um, and then, you know, what could be funny one day won't be funny the next. So I've had jokes that, you know, okay, they landed. Then I tried them again and they don't work. So it just sometimes it's just situational. Um, but definitely just being patient. I'm definitely not in a rush to get to the headliner status right now. I just want to continue to get more comfortable at writing better jokes and then becoming more consistent with writing those better jokes as well. So just the patience process and continuing to write though, yeah. But I mean, I'm six years in right now, so I can't imagine, um, you know, even quitting at a certain amount of time if I don't get to like a headliner status or anything like that. You know, I'll just keep going 20 years in. I'm still enjoying it. And then, you know, comedy, stand-up comedy is such a good foundation for other forms of comedy as well. So it's not the end if you don't make it in stand-up. You know, you can still do on-screen comedic acting and things like that. 
Um, and you have those, you have those kind of like those skills to write funny stuff on screen because you know it's supposed to be funny, and you have that lens, so you can continue to just expand in different ways too. So, yeah, it's definitely a long journey, but yeah, not huh. worried. I think it's a super cool way of looking at it. And you, yeah. I mean, you were just you were funny. I've been to a lot of stand-up comedy. It's one of the reasons I moved here. Is I was when I was looking at La Jolla, I was like, man, I'll be in walking distance to the comedy store. Oh, I'll nice. just pop over there. Sometimes I go to those, like, uh, I think they are open mic nights where they have a bunch of people on, like, a Thursday or Wednesday or something. Yeah, so we have what's called our uh, The Best of San Diego. So I think it's, like, every Thursday, and then we'll go up and do, like, six or seven minutes, and there'll just be a bunch of San Diego guys. And then you'll see, like, headliners like Dustin Nickerson or Zoltan or those guys that are local San Diego guys that headline nationally around the country. Um, those guys pop in, and they're working out their material um, or just random guys from L.A. that will come down and do their thing and, it's always fun to watch too, to watch them do that seven minutes and see how they tighten it up in that time. Cause you would think with someone who's doing 30 minutes, like, Oh, they've got a little bit more of a leash on their thing where they can kind of work out things in those chunks. But to see them kind of like come in there with those seven minutes, be sharp with it. It's really nice to see. It, yeah. There's something about precision and communication that adds a lot of, I think, strength to words or energy you talked about, you know, the more focused and, and tight, I like that term for, for communication, the stronger energy you can bring because as more impact, yeah, uh, there's that concept of like simplify to amplify. So, I mean, the history of, of stand-up comedy, it's it's not, you know, hundreds of years old as far as the, you know, how you look at kind of modern stand-up comedy or doing it in groups or things. Mm -hmm. There is obviously a lot of content online now. And there are, you know, there's a fair number of it's growing, which is really, I think, fantastic for anybody that likes to laugh, which should be everybody. Mm -hmm. But uh, how do you... Is there like a, a system or how do you know that, you know, when you're writing material, it's not something that is going to end up uh, being like a repetition of something that someone's produced in the past? Um, if you can just try and make it as uh, personal to yourself as possible. There's definitely some talk topics where everyone's done it. You know, Costco, everyone's talked about Costco. Even I have jokes about Costco. But you try and take like a different angle than they do. But even then, you don't want to just keep beating that horse um, all the time with that. So you definitely just try and be as original and personal to your life as possible. And your personal experiences, no one else can replicate those. And so if yours have already been unique and that's all it's all about. Um, and just, you know, also just writing about things that you think are interesting. People then start to like really like you as a person and they want to, okay, he finds that interesting. That's really cool to hear him talk about that. That's really funny. I didn't think about it that way. You know, like kind of like put it down or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's just being as unique to yourself as you can. And being honest, I think that's what people want us to be honest. That's it's huge. Honesty is yeah. pretty funny when you get real about life too. There, yeah, there was a uh, and I I actually battled this in my mind, and I was like, okay, for one, you know, who am I? Doesn't even matter for whatever reason. I've had some really cool experiences getting to talk to comics like one on one a lot, and and uh, like Ian Edwards is super cool, I like that guy. So. Nice. And there's been some come through here that I would post something on Instagram, and they're like, hey, what's up? And it just I don't know, it's turned into some cool stuff. There's something about. I don't have a strong magnet to, to comedy, but there was a, a guy that uh, had a joke. And as I was listening, it was the first time and the only time so far I've sat in a comedy show where I heard the joke and it was literally almost identical to a joke from, that I knew from like 2003 by Nick Swardson. You know, I don't know if you know that is, but yeah. Yeah. And it was like, it was like word for word. It was super close. And I was like in my, in my head, cause I, I just had this really weird, heavy feeling. It's like sitting there in the audience. Mm -hmm. Everybody's laughing. have a good time. Most people probably never seen this Nick Swartzen joke from 2003. I'd, but I was like, it was one I actually watched so many times or, uh, back when iPods first came out, like we were listening <laughs> to it on a, yeah. a speaker on an iPod, you know? Mm -hmm. So it just really resonated. And I was like, and it, it, it made me kind of hard. It was hard to track the rest of the the joke afterward and everything. So I did. I did actually drop a message. Was like, "Hey, you crush it. You're super hilarious. Really funny." I'm like, I don't know how this works in comedy, and I don't even know if you're going to see this. Whatever. But uh, you had this one joke that just kind of like, and I and I shared it with him. And I actually showed him like, it's you know, it's right here. I found a little clip and shared it. And he he was super cool about it. He responded was like, "Hey, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you like pointing that out because it was." I mean, his joke and the next word to thing was like almost identical. So, oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that definitely, because nobody wants to get caught for like, uh, nobody wants to get accused of like, you know, stealing someone else's material. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you do it self consciously. I think I did that once with a joke and then someone pointed it out to me and I, you just stopped doing the joke. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
or you just hear someone else do the same kind of premise that you did on a joke, you know, it's like, okay, well, then you just kind of move on from it. It's plenty of jokes you can write anyways, too. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool of them to be like, hey, yeah. you know, because appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, what's the uh, uh, airlines, you know, comments are famous for, for talking a lot about flying, probably not as much in the last year, but. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. everyone has their Spirit Airlines joke, too, or their Spirit Airlines story. Yeah. Yeah. So what what's life look like? So it's cool that I mean you're literally just thinking about it from the time you wake up till the mm-hmm. time you know you go to sleep. You're you're extracting the the goodness, the richness of life out of everything and helping people uh, laugh. What what's life look like for you outside of that? Outside of comedy, yeah. Uh, just spending time with my family. You know, I have a girlfriend. Uh, eventually, she'll want to you know advance in our relationship and things like that. And so you know. <laughs> Um, definitely, you know, looking forward to that as well too. And then I have also, you know, my, my siblings, they have kids of their own. And so hanging out with them and hanging out with my parents. So really just family time. I'm a pretty chill guy. If I'm not doing comedy, just want to hang back, relax with my family. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. There's kind of, I think different approaches people have when it comes to a career and it really, but I think when it's something unique where you have to be super self-motivated, I mean, there's there's office jobs where you can just be motivated to show up and you can get enough done. I have some friends I knew that worked in government and they're like, dude, there's an unlimited amount of work. As long as I just show up, I'm mm-hmm. good for 40 years. And Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, may- maybe, yeah. You know, I- I'd probably, it feels like suffering to me because I want to be like creating and doing stuff. But, uh, you know, one of the big conversations for a long time, but even more so in the last year, like this whole work-life balance thing. You know, do you... Do you have other things that you kind of have to do in terms of, of work or do you really get to, are you fortunate to where it's like, hey, it's comedy and family? Right now, I'm just fortunate enough to just work at the comedy store um, and do that. But I think, you know, as I get older, you also have to be honest with yourself and I can't probably just survive off the comedy or income. So I'm definitely probably going to have to do something else. Um, I have a real estate license. <laughs> It's a, it's, Comic I slash real yeah. estate. I love yeah. it. And so right. it's, uh, I got it just kind of as more of just kind of, as of a joke. I was like, it's, it's kind of not that difficult to get. And so, but I enjoy real estate. I think it'd be really awesome to help people, you know, find their home or just use it to be able to own my own real estate, really. Um, and I think that's kind of exciting. So definitely kind of maybe doing that on the side. Um, but using that to also just supplement comedy, I think everything though revolves around supplementing that. So if I have to do that to do comedy, then I will. Well, that's cool. And you know, I actually have the, like all the exams and the study material in my closet over there for the real estate. So it's not, I don't think it's that easy. I mean, it's not, it's not like it's rocket science, but the commitment, I mean, that's a pretty big commitment to, to go through. The one thing you have to do is just be really, um, really focus in on the verbatim of every question because it'll slightly change a word mm-hmm. and then it becomes a completely different law. And so that was kind of like where people kind of will make mistakes. Um, but for the most part though, I think everything kind of makes sense for what it kind of like what they're in charge of. It's like, okay. You just got to be honest with people. There's reasonings why, okay, you have to obviously you can't sell someone a house full of termites, not tell them, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, there are certain things, but the one thing I think that was probably was funny was, um, one of the questions was, you know, this person um, died of AIDS in the house. Do you have to disclose that to the seller, to the buyer? That was an actual question. Yeah. Wow. Because it's very specific about, you know, okay, did they, they, you know, they weren't murdered in the house, but they had, they had AIDS, and then they passed away. Um, that they passed away actually physically in the house, and then you have to tell people that, and it's like, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's. It's like a good ghost story if you're an agent, I guess. Like, by the way, it's kind of haunted. I'm not sure if you guys are into this house, but that's the corner where, you know, Uncle Scrooge died or whatever. How are you doing on time, by the way? Oh, no, no, we're doing great. Yeah. I thought my phone had just vibrated for a second. It's my fault. What is, do you have like a hard stop or? No, no, no. It's cool. I've got to just be at the store probably around like 530. So we're totally cool. What is it? Oh, twins. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. To Eric Schwartz's tonight. Okay. It's going to be pretty fun. Awesome. Are you going to, uh, are you on stage? We'll see. You never know until literally until you're about to go up. Mm. That's kind of like the cool thing about it. Cause it kind of catches you off guard. Um, but you go into work with like a five minute that you have in your head and they say, you're in it. They, they say your name, then okay, cool. I'm going up and that's what I'm going to try and do. That's um, cool. but yeah, it's, it's kind of exciting. Um, but it's pretty cool. You can kind of predict, but Wednesdays, I'm not sure. Usually that's kind of like a privately booked show. And so most of the time they just kind of do their own thing, which I get. It's fine. They're there. It's their fan base there to see them specifically. I'm not going to, you know, try and get up there and be selfish for just five minutes or whatever time I get to do. Um, But it's, it's fun either way if I go up or not. Have you, have you performed outside of San Diego? 
Yes. Uh, and so LA a couple of times okay. um, before the pandemic, I did once I did in the belly room uh, wow. before they do like roast battle. They have like people come and warm up. And so <laughs> yeah. I did like five minutes in there. Um, that's pretty awesome. Did a couple of shows around LA as well too. Um, but then also performed in Mexico I did like a little little tour in like Ensenada and like Rosarita. Um, it was pretty cool. It was like there's like like old white people that retired in Mexico now, <laughs> and they okay. would just do a comedy show at, at these different little places that they own, like a pizza place um, or like a kind of like a resort pal, a resort. Um, and that was pretty cool. Um, and then also in Hawaii, uh, a few times Hawaii once. I've only been out there once. So I've performed a couple of times at like this military hotel where it's got to be like super clean. Hmm. Um, yeah, she had me send in my video of what I was going to say beforehand and then said that you need to, I have a joke about how, you know, Priuses and I, you know, you don't get, you don't get laid on Priuses. So, you know, they save money on condoms and she made me change the word condoms to like prophylactics because it wasn't like kid friendly. Oh, it was like military families and stuff. Cause I'm like, yeah, Man, I don't, you it was know, like a private military hotel. Okay, I'm like I've never been in the military, but I don't I haven't heard a lot of stuff about it being clean inside. So right, these are good families. <laughs> these are good families, and they bring their kids. Everyone has to have a good time. I don't think they want to hear cuss words. That's super. Cool. Um, but that's been cool. Yeah, Hawaii's awesome. Um, and then Seattle, just in Seattle for Fourth of July weekend. Um, a really awesome city. It's my first time out there, and it's always different performing in different cities as well too. Um, like I performed in Washington. Like I have a friend, he does like these brewery tours, but they're like in breweries and cities you've never heard of. And so well, we went to the city called George, George Washington. <laughs> yeah. It's literally the center of the state. Um, and the hotel we were staying at was probably like half the city. There was like one road and that was like a, there was a bar next to it in the hotel. And then there's just a coffee shop next door and then a burger place right next to that all in the same little shopping area. And uh, that's the city basically. There's yeah. just a couple of farms. Like, you're really out there, yeah. There's that sounds like, one, super fun and unique. And also, like, oh, to me, yeah. I'd be a little bit terrified, like, making sure everybody knows where I'm at. Like, hey, I'm going to here. Yeah, I'm going to be in George. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Even people from Seattle like, where is George? Yeah, if I don't come back, uh, please, like, in this. <laughs> people are really nice out there. No one is from George. Um, they're really cool, though. You'd think that it'd be kind of like Sticksville or a little bit like that, but they're pretty cool people. Um, and it's really fun to perform in front of them. It's nice to see that the funny still travels out there with them. Um, but they are also, they're funny. They were so funny. People kept telling me after, I was like, listen, we're not racist. We just hate the liberals in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't point any fingers. I uh, get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Washington's a geographically a really fascinating state because yeah. you have like these evergreen forests on the West side. Mm -hmm. And then once you hit that, what is that? That mountain range before you go into Tri-Cities and Spokane, like Eastern Washington, there's a nuclear power plant. Oh, it's yeah. like desert so were you you were kind of in the middle of that so george is literally the center of the state so yeah. i'm probably like three hours east of uh east of uh, seattle and so it's just basically just like coffee farmland and things like that huh. um, but it's so dry out there yeah. yeah it's basically it was it was like being like barstow or temecula 20 years ago before they built the city um but yeah it's pretty awesome out there it's cool but yeah but seattle and washington is so so beautiful though how it changes and people complain about like this the about the rain out there and it's kind of like i kind of like it it's kind of nice actually it's, it's kind of relaxing the roads are empty um and when you hear like the rain falling through the trees and things like that it's actually it's kind of comforting actually it's very calming i'm i'm with you man yeah. that's uh i lived in a, a couple of super tiny towns up there when mm -hmm. i was maybe like eight nine ten years old one was called uh everett and in Arlington, okay. so like yeah. close to Seattle. I mean, Arlington, like just the name Arlington, you yeah. know, you're like, that's not a big place. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, yeah, I can think of like snow days from school and, and the, when the rain is just pounding on everything, it's like, oh, I'm just going to hang out and sleep. And we don't, we got some of that here in San Diego, but. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> I never got, I never got rain days. I got, um, it would, I mean, if it rained, we wouldn't go outside for recess. We would just stay in the classroom. I think a couple of times we had fires and they closed for a week. That was it. Um, and even that was still kind of like pretty cool, but you couldn't go outside. But no, we don't get any of that in San Diego. We get beautiful weather year yeah. round. It's it's surfable through Thanksgiving. That's that's pretty awesome. I'm a transplant. And so I feel like it took like it took a couple of years to kind of adapt and evolve to mm -hmm. a few things. I've lived in a lot of places. I mean, I've lived in like the Amazon in Brazil. 
Oh, nice. And that didn't, I feel like there was no adjustment period. I was like, hey, this is cool. Like I'm here. There's something about moving here that just took me a little bit to get used to, like the rhythm or the, or people or whatever it was. Yeah. It was very laid back. It's, yeah. And I'm, I'm kind back. of an intense, like, let's go kind yeah. of person. So we're just like, yeah, we're just chilling. We're having a good time. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's the climate. Cause even in Brazil, when you would schedule things, like people would still show up. They'd be pretty late. Mm-hmm. But this was the first place I ever lived. Like making plans with people just became a whole different ball game. Like I've learned, I do not really make definite plans on Saturday between 11 and 4. Yeah. Because if a cloud does show up, everything's changing. Mm-hmm. And like that's just, I, I don't I don't really care who it is. Like I'm just not making plans at that time. Like it seems like things can shift so fast, especially with large groups of people. Yeah. It's also a prime time on Saturday too. That's a, it's pretty peak hours of like the day Yeah, and hanging out and kind of relaxing and kind of doing what you really want to do on Saturday as well. I don't like running errands on Saturday. Yeah, I like them on Sundays. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Like afternoon errands uh, or an afternoon nap on Sunday is like the one of the two options. But yeah, no, I definitely get you, man. Definitely, definitely uh, plans here in San Diego are different. Well, I think like uh, like my first time going to the tracks at Del Mar, mm-hmm. you know, as we got this big group text message going, it was like, and they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to leave at, you know, 10 o'clock or whatever, like meet here. And then, you know, okay, hey, like 10 o'clock is getting closer. And then it's like, hey, we're meeting over here at 12. And then it like, oh, the weather changed. So we're going to go to the beach for an hour and then go to the train <laughs> or whatever. And I was like... That was kind of one of my first experiences. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm gonna I'm just gonna take it nice and slow. Like you said, like, yeah. oh, I'm not gonna be like, oh, I'll be there at 10 o'clock. I'm like, I'll be there 10 minutes early. It's like, all right, it's kind of flowing a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. you kind of just hang out. Do you now uh keep like a pair of trunks in your sh- in your uh in your car or anything like that, just in case you gotta jump in the ocean? Oh, uh, dude, the back of my car is uh, uh people laugh. I have a, a, a my neighbor's friend is like an organizer and she came over here and was like kind of figuring out some ways to beautify this place for me. And she sees the trunk of my car and she's like, Wow, that's really organized. I have the two Tommy Bahama chairs that are kind of I don't know, like standard from Costco with yeah. the straps. Got my hot yoga mat, like in a little area the beach blanket um yeah always keep a sweatshirt and shorts and mm-hmm. it's usually more like the back seat pair of flip-flops but i also have like a kettlebell collection that just kind of hangs out in the back of my car <laughs> nice for like beach workouts which yeah. some of my friends like just had a lot of fun doing that so yeah the whole there's no space in the back of my vehicle it's mm-hmm. literally like dedicated to the beach and different things nice that's the way to do it, man. You got to be prepared in San Diego for anything. And uh, you kind of learn over time that you got to keep those and things in your car. Fanny pack too. Yeah. yeah. It's like my go-to. If I don't have my fanny pack so I can throw my phone and stuff in there. It's like very important. Yeah. I don't want to use my pockets anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're not useful. <laughs> yeah. Like even my keys, I don't want to carry my keys anymore. I don't need the keys. It's just, you know, it's a push to start car. So you just, I don't even want to carry the house keys on there anymore. When did that happen? Like, I feel it's like it's a recent thing that happened for me. And there's literally the fanny pack right there. I don't have a key. You can see the keypad on the front door. Like, it's just seems oh, inconvenient yeah. to have to carry something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, we're, we've progressed. We've got cell phones are getting thinner now. Um, and it's, uh, we can probably get rid of keys. Yeah. All for it. Well, uh, yeah, I know you got, you know, the store coming up and everything. You seem like a super cool guy. I'm glad you, you really came by. Do you have anything that you just feel like compelled that you wanted to talk about or? Oh no, I just wanted to come and hang out, man. I liked it. I watched a couple of other episodes and it just seemed like pretty chill. Cool. Uh, I don't know if you have your listeners want to learn about doing comedy or anything like that, but they're always welcome to do it. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to, um, it's called the, the trilogy. Yeah, it's right around the corner. Uh, right around the corner, yeah. They yeah. do an open mic uh, like on Thursdays. I don't know if they're still doing it now. It's a pretty, it's like a mixed mic. Mainly, it's just musicians that go up there, or people do poetry. Hmm. But it's such a cool looking rooftop to hang out yeah. at, and the people are so chill. People aren't wearing shoes, walk around barefoot. There's like pillows and blankets around. I know that they do yoga there, like like hanging yoga, and that <laughs> is. Uh, so there's a lot of tranquility there. I think that's what they're going for. Um, and that's a pretty cool mic to check out as well, too. I've always wanted to do a show there, actually. That's, I didn't know yeah. they did. I'm there. I'm going to go there pretty regularly. It's like a block and a half over. Oh, and nice. the rooftop is, you're, you're, you nailed it. It's super beautiful. You got like so Mount cool. Soledad in the background, mm-hmm. the ocean looking one way. But it does seem like a really interesting place to do comedy because it is, I mean, it's vegan. Yeah. It's a vegan place. So right off the bat, like there go the bacon jokes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can mess around a little bit, but uh, just don't like hurt. Don't hit them too hard with it. 
Yeah. But they seem pretty relaxed and pretty chill people. Um, yeah. Vegan people are, uh, they also like comedy too. <laughs> so <laughs> Vegans are fans as well. Yeah, we're not hating on vegan people. Like that, you know, <laughs> but uh, That is pretty cool. So if somebody, I guess if somebody did want to get into comedy, like what would be some recommendations you have in general? Definitely just go to an open mic. The Madhouse Comedy Club does mics seven nights a week. Um, that's kind of the best way to start is kind of just go and either get up and perform if you want. There's really no pressure. There's, I mean, if you bomb, it's fine. You can only go up from there. Um, but definitely just check it out. People are great to talk to, get to know them and kind of see what kind of like we'll see what the standard comedy is about. Um, but yeah, this, I just not be afraid. Some people kind of just wait a while to go up and you're better up just going up and just kind of getting a feel for it and going from there. Yeah. You know, we have these like innate fears uh, mm-hmm. that people carry with them and, you know, we're all subject to them in different things. One of them is, is purely just rejection, right? Someone mm-hmm. saying no, whether it's asking someone out on a date or if it's a sales meeting for business, oh, what if, if I asked, they could say no. And we can disguise it a lot of times as not what it is. Like we have a good justifications or reasons. What are some things that you've learned about just dealing with rejection? Uh, it's going to happen. <laughs> Even like if I want to hit up someone to be on their show and they reject me, it's like, okay, that's fine. I'll try again in a few more months or something like that. I'll send you a new clip and just keep trying or, you know, it's going to happen. You just kind of have to get used to it. Even that, I even in addition to comedy, I still do like acting and things like that or like commercials and stuff like that. And so you'll get rejected. It's just kind of part of the game. I kind of assume they're going to reject me. I get it. Okay, cool. That's, I just kind of feel lucky to, to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, you just got to get used to it. Because even if you apply for a job, how many jobs did you apply for before you heard back from somebody as well, you know? That's kind of the same thing. Yeah, there, I think there are some people that are really, I don't know if it's a, a, a talent or whatever they bring, a certain energy where mm-hmm. uh, I think there's kind of like three different types of people when it comes to starting something new. Some actually have really early success. Like they just try something, they're like, wow, that went really well. And then they face rejection later and that's, really challenging. Yeah, they weren't used to it. Yeah, now what do I do here? Mm-hmm. And then there's the folks that just are getting rejected right off the bat, so you get to build that callus and that thick skin right away. And then, you know, some get rejected and then don't keep moving forward with it. You said you you, you bombed a little bit in the beginning, or was it kind of oh, at least yeah. you got some feedback? Oh, yeah, I definitely bombed hard every night um, mm-hmm. when I first started. And there would be times where you, you get a little laughs on things, but oh, I didn't understand why they were laughing or why it was funny or how to build up on that or if it was something you could even build upon. And so as you more start to write about yourself and what you kind of find is funny, you start to figure out how to write better funny things. You start to figure out then where the laughs are going to be at. Um, and then you kind of get better from there. But even now, too, I'll bomb and it still feels pretty horrible. <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what motivated you to keep going? Uh, you know, I, I want to do comedy. I want to do stand up. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything else really. And I know that you're going to have to bomb. It's like, okay, you're going to have to get used to it. And also you're going to have to do this for probably 20 years or, you know, 20 plus years. Even then, if you're really good at that point, you're still going to be doing it for that long. So just keep going and be patient. Don't even try and rush the evolution of it and get up with a purpose when you're getting up. Um, and then just go back and study yourself. So I mean, now I'm in it pretty deep. And so I feel like I'm going to have to keep going. If I quit now, I'm going to feel pretty regretful about it because I feel like there's still so much more of a higher ceiling than I have, even even with the mistakes that I still make. Um, it's still like, you know, there's still so much more potential to go. Yeah, and I've only been performing in San Diego. So it's like, you know, there's still the rest of the nation really to kind of get out there with. So I'm still pretty new at this. That's cool, man. That's yeah. uh get in front of some of those, what, like a Jersey crowd or, or somewhere where they're like, yeah. Hi. Get in front of these rowdy crowds. Like I've done open (laughs) mics have bars where nobody wants to pay attention to you or they're kind of rowdy. And so you kind of have to battle that as well too. And that's another, that's another another skill that you try and like sharpen your tools with. Really, I think with the comedy, it's like you want to get in every situation you can so that you can understand really how to be funny at any time. And that's kind of the goal. So you can go into a room that's like really hot. You have to follow someone who's like just really threw them out the window with their jokes and um, just be able to handle it. That's all it is, is keeping your composure, I think, is really important. That's what bombing kind of starts to become is when you start to lose your composure and you start to cave into the jokes not working. Mm. And then, yeah, so if you're like, okay, they're not, they're not working. That's cool. 0 for 2 on that one. We'll try the next one. Like, I'm still in a good mood. You guys are not laughing. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't affect me at all. So that happened to me last night, actually. 
I was like, okay, that one didn't work. The the expectations are starting to lower for myself right now. Let's keep going <laughs> and then we'll try the next one. And so sometimes it helps transition into the joke. They're kind of like, okay, he's kind of loose up there. He doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. And they get a little more loose about it. And they're mm-hmm. like, let's be open. This guy's pretty cool. Yeah. And then you start to say things that are funny and then they start to get on your side. And then you kind of build them from there as well too. Yeah, you're kind of like yeah. winning them over like little little by little, sometimes right away, sometimes things. Yeah, and it's not like an insecure way where I, I, I'm like, you know, I, I need their liking or I need them to like laugh at these jokes. It's just kind of just like having fun and connecting with people. Well, and that's thinking about rejection too. You know, people, we have a, ten, a tendency to get like really attached to an outcome. Mm-hmm. Now, when I hear you say things like, like let loose or, uh, you know, just kind of keep going with it. If you get detached, then you don't care. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to a clip with Eddie Murphy and Jerry Seinfeld. And Eddie Murphy said the, and there's like comedian in cars, I think is what he was doing. And Eddie Murphy said the only time he can remember bombing is when he actually was so loose and so confident and comfortable that he like kind of didn't care mm-hmm. and bomb because he didn't have that connection, that energy. But on the other end, if you get too attached to the outcome, you can kind of create this like anxious, needy energy and that's not going to feed a lot of great things either. Like, Do you have any, how do you find that middle space where you care, but you're not overly attached? You just, I just go up there just uh, <laughs> with no expectations, really. He's like, yeah, you know, this yeah. could go wrong tonight. That's fine with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like I've noticed that when you do kind of get too into your head about it though, then it starts to go bad. And then that's where it, can go downhill um but if you just go up there like hey i've done this a million times i'm just gonna do it again you're fine um yeah just being relaxed that's tough for a lot of people it is tough you know it's definitely you get because you want to perform well and some nights you really want to hit a home run you know but instead we just you know just hit a double and it's still going to be productive for the rest of the team so i mean you just have to just be relaxed and just just try and make contact. I guess in terms of baseball, you're just trying to make contact. And if you make contact, you can't be upset. <laughs> I can't be upset. If I came up there, wanted to hit a home run and I hit a double, that's fine. I think I'm still doing fine. Um, but, you know, just having fun with people is cool. I think that's a super cool, super cool way. I, uh, I played softball probably like five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I never played like baseball or anything before. It just wasn't, you know, I don't know. I played basketball growing up. And, yeah. And I got suckered into this like men's softball league for a season. They're like, it's fine. You're athletic. You'll be great. <laughs> uh, they were actually pretty like the, I could go to the batting cages and hit some fastballs. These guys were pitching pretty, pretty darn good. Like they had nice. little spinny techniques or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and so I found that if I just hit the ball a certain way, like I was getting on base every time. So mm-hmm. there was no like striking out, no fouling out or like, or hit, you know, pop fly. Like I'm like, Oh, if I just hit the ball this one way. So, I mean, they gave me a really hard time about it. Like Derek's up single for sure. Sometimes a double if I run fast enough, but I would just, right. well, and it was pretty much the same thing every time. Like even if they shift in the outfield, like I was still getting like crushing a single. And yeah. It's still it, not an out either. So I don't yeah, know. Felt good. Got on base. Didn't mm-hmm. get out. You know, everybody was happy. Someone will hit me in. Like the, the playing that role sometimes is I think where our, our ego kicks in. It makes it a little tougher. Do you know I got to be the home run guy? Right. And I also have to remember I'm just doing five minutes up top. And so, or just like, you know, in terms of the store situation, you're doing five minutes up top, you're really just setting up for the next guy to hit an RBI double for you or to put you on base. And then the headliner comes in and hits a grand slam. That's what you're setting up for. You're being a team player. Um, but even just on shows as well, too, you're just, you're just, just being a team player, just trying to have everyone, you want everyone to do well as well, too. You know, you want to set it up for the guy coming after you to perform well. And then you kind of like pass it on. So it's a little bit of a teamwork, even though it seems like an individual kind of like sport. One thing that I find interesting okay, when it comes to crowd work, mm-hmm. right? So I am, I think I'm batting a thousand on getting picked on when I go to a show on a date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we were literally the night, so me and the uh, girl on a date with, um, we got front and center. And I told her before we even got there, I'm like, watch. I'm like, I just have this, I'm like, I have this feeling and this happens regularly. Like we're going to be right there in the front. I think it's, I think it, I already thought about it. But I think I told her as we were getting close. No joke. It doesn't matter if I go early, if I show up kind of around the right time, or if I'm like the last person in there, there happens to be this table front Mm -hmm. and center just waiting. And I I guess I can think of like one or two times where been in the back, but it didn't really matter as well. Like still got 
called out by the community. I'm like, is it my face? What's going on? <laughs> like when you, when you do, do you do, I'm assuming you do some crowd work. Like what do you Sometimes, look for? Yeah. Um, you really just looking for like certain situations in the room. If somebody, you know, has a particular kind of look or they're acting differently, you know, like it a, is my like, face. It's someone, if there's a birthday, <laughs> you just, you just have to a good eye view if you're sitting. Cause I think when you were sitting last time, it was like, kind of like if you were like a left eye dominant person that would have locked right onto you. Mm. And so it's just kind of like, that's where I'm looking. That's where my energy is. I'm going to ask you a question. And sometimes though, when they're picking on people, it's sometimes just kind of rhetorical or just kind of simple questions too. I don't think they're asking you for your expert opinion on anything too. So I think that's what people kind of get scared about with crowd work is, oh, they're going to pick on me. It's like, no, I'm literally just going to ask you, oh, so what do you do for a living? Okay, you sell rice. That's cool. <laughs> well, and then you see some people like really uh, like over respond or take it really far when they are asking a super simple question. And that gets yeah. really interesting. Are they heckling? They want, because everyone, you want to be a part of the show. Dude, the heckling thing, that. That still amazes me. I guess it shouldn't. Like, there's not a lot of mysteries about humans at this point. Yeah. Well, it is a mystery. It also, you know, it's sometimes it's sometimes people's first time coming to a comedy show as well, mm. too. You know, I get that all the time. Is this your first time here? Yeah, it is, actually. Um, and you're like, kind of like, it's not really surprising, but it's like, okay, there's just a lot of people who haven't seen comedy yet, too. Well, even the term heckle, like I think when yeah. you, at the comedy store, the guy that works the front door, I love that guy. He's super funny. And I, uh, <laughs> yeah, we love him. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> I, uh, last time he was like, you know, he always says like no heckling, right? And I'm sure I do like no heckling. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I said, you look like, I think I was giving him a little bit of a hard time. I'm like, I mean, you look like a guy that nobody would want to heckle when they come in here, you know, like, and, mm -hmm. uh, but I think some people don't even know the term heckle if it's their first time. So they hear that and they don't yeah. really even process it. Yeah. And so maybe I can just, that's actually smart. Maybe I should just put it in a thing. No, uh, no talking, no yelling things out at the, <laughs> at the comedians. If it's your first time at a comedy show. Yeah. I, I saw a Chappelle in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Was it, where was it? Uh, I think it was Sacramento. And I think it was like one of the last like big stand-up he showed, he did a, a quite a while back and you know, it, it got really, he was like, come, he was yelling at people and it was, you say like never go to Sacramento again, <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, and that's also I mean that's a massive. We were in the, where were we? Park Arena might have been the sleep train auditorium, something like that. So you have oh, a yeah. lot of people in there, and you got people yelling because of you know what was going on with his show, and just like you know I'm Rick James, that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh and, yeah, you get those people. I think yeah, Jamie Kennedy has to deal with the same things now. Yeah, when he's headlining, people yell out, you know, B Red or like you know Malibu's most wanted lines. Oh, he's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be tough too. So you have the hecklers that think they can participate. I just saw mm -hmm. a video of a stand-up comedian that, I mean, this was the first time I've seen something like that. He was doing some crowd work. Some guy was not very happy. He starts talking a little trash. And the guy just walked up and punched him. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> the everybody went kind of like whoa that's not how that's supposed to go down and yeah <laughs> they were just barking at each other right now i didn't think this was gonna break out it was pretty rough wow so i've uh, seen that before i did an open mic actually a comedian he uh he didn't the guy didn't like what he was saying on stage and he went up to me and just punched him after the show that's crazy well i didn't think as I'd... a comedian yeah it's crazy but as a comedian you're kind of just thinking like damn that guy he pumps so hard he got punched in the face <laughs> <laughs> you're like okay it can't be that i've never bombed like that before so you kind of feel a little bit about yourself but also it's i i mean i felt bad for the guy i was like oh man that kind of sucks but also like <laughs> wow okay well good thing I, I hopefully i don't bomb that hard <laughs> that is a good way to look at it yeah I hope you walked away with some some learning <laughs> so what did you learn about that set i should do different tags <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, you think of comedy as like being emotionally challenging or mentally, but not supposed to be physically. Yeah. <laughs> that's rough. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool, man. I, uh, you, you, you know, you, you shared some things in terms of kind of like your, how you see it and how you look at the world. And I think that's uh, a really unique perspective that m many folks could benefit from, you know, taking certain approaches in terms of, uh, being lax but focused, mm -hmm. you know, uh, working through your process. And it, it seems like you have a really solid plan for what you're doing. You're super funny. Like, uh, we're just sitting there dying laughing. We're like, this is the opener. This is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know? So, absolutely. And uh, I know you got, uh, oh, it's, it's a short, it's a short drive. You got a little bit of time. Oh, yeah. I'm going to 
walk by just drive over real quick. You're welcome usually. to stay parked there if you want to walk over. I mean, I know parking oh, over there's sure. kind of rough, so. Uh, yeah, no, I usually, uh, I've been getting pretty good. I've been parking right next to the uh, Rubio's outside on the street oh. over there. I've been kind of getting lucky. They closed that. Huh? Yeah, they did. Yeah. And so I'll park on just like the street and then um, just walk over in the alleyway. I can't um, believe I'm going to say this, but I still park at Vaughn sometimes. Oh, uh, dude, you know what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can edit this out if you want, but the uh, the security <laughs> guard leaves after 8 o'clock. And so <laughs> it's like if you come to a late show, nobody's going to care. But also, yeah, I usually just like uh, tell people to, if you did park at Vaughn, grab me some M&Ms and you'll be cool. Just go in the store and pick up some grocery real quick. And I mean, I'm, I shop there to their costume, but it is kind of, it's funny because the parking is crazy around here. So you want to be yeah. respectful too. And I think definitely I would take advantage of it. if they didn't tow at Vaughn's, I would definitely park there as well too. It's such an easy walk. So much extra parking there. But yeah. We just got a really thing, cool thing going on. I know the, um, the pandemic, you know, it, it's been really fascinating in California because a lot of other states opened up way earlier and allowed groups and, I went up to LA about a month and a half ago, two mm-hmm. months ago, and it was a really cool spot. It was technically outdoors. It was in an alley, kind of like between these two buildings. I don't think what the name of it was. Oh wow! I know what I'm talking about. They they had some super cool people. Um, man, I'm just I'm like racking my brain now. Was it like North Hollywood area? Yeah, I think not sleeping too much caffeine this week so far. So I'm no, like, the, the memory banks are like, where is it? It's okay. There's a lot of awesome outdoor shows out that were popping up during the pandemic. It was really interesting hearing the comics who literally hadn't done any stand up in a year mm-hmm. uh, because they were just at home doing their thing. Uh, and some that had been doing like Zoom comedy and that oh, was yeah. going well or not going well for mm-hmm. some people because you can't really hear anybody it's not an intimate you know interaction in terms of comedy yeah it must be i mean i've done a ton of zoom stuff i'm not trying to make people laugh too much i mean it happens it's nice but i, mean, yeah. I had a zoom training i did for business where there was like 900 and something people on it when the pandemic first broke out and it's, uh, I mean, I felt like my computer was overheating in terms of just the <laughs> amount of people that were on. And I did feel heat and yeah. energy and you can, you can kind of feel that there's 900 or even a hundred people. Like now it's more, you know, 50 to 200 on average. Uh, but it is, you definitely kind of like want to set stuff up that way, but it's just, it's interesting for how obviously nobody was unimpacted by the events of the last year in, in terms of career or family life mm-hmm. um but coming through it now at least that's what it what it seems is many folks that have acquired some new skills some new perspective and get to you know continue on that journey how, how was what was your experience being where you're at in comedy in in the last year well you know definitely just um taking a look back on everything else that was going on in my life too and just trying to see if i can improve on those things or just learn new skills you know uh you know it's like spend more time with my family or even just pick up gardening or pick up more habits that i can learn myself like you know handyman kind of things learning how to do more plumbing and things like that (laughs) or just really really just learning things that would help me in the future just save time and money in terms of that so i kind of like doing it myself um, and learning more about like computer editing and things like that, or just like video editing, hmm. um, being more conscious about actually getting down and sitting and doing that, which I don't like. I don't want to actually try and do the editing anymore. It kind of seems kind of meticulous. Um, but if there's someone out there who's like way better than me that I can do it, then, then I'd be okay with working with them. Um, but just learning those things and being more understanding of how they work. Um, but yeah, just trying to pick up and get more skills. Um, and then trying to write more too, because what the pandemic did was definitely digitalize everything too. And so a lot of more comedy now is like you can see it online and then it draws people into your crowd, your shows physically, especially for stand-up comedians now that they use TikTok to post their clips. And now it's allowing them to go and like headline around the country and things like that um, or just allow them to grow their fan base um, was really cool. And really understanding how that works um, was kind of like the biggest challenge. Yeah. Andrew Schultz. I mean, he started doing yeah. some really crazy videos and the next thing you know, they rode that wave and he got a Netflix special. Yeah. Turn your phone inside. something. let me teach you something. Yeah. yeah. That became the slogan and it was important stuff. And he came out with some like really important banter. The jokes were funny too. The tags he was coming up with. Um, Andrew Schultz is a beast too, man. Yeah. He's been doing what well, he's been in New York for like 15 years. Wow. So he's, yeah, he's, he's nuts and he's, uh, 
you just going for it. I mean, that was yeah. the, uh, so that's interesting too, in terms of social media, you talk about fan base. Like if you build a social media following, is it easier to book a show somewhere? Is that like, Hey, look, I have a crowd. Yeah, you can use that. Definitely use that leverage. Um, especially right now, if you're trying to do shows around San Diego, because who doesn't want to like make it easier to fill an audience? You know, mm. if you're producing a show, it's already hard enough to fill that crowd. Um, so if you can definitely use that, then yeah, definitely go for it. And um, definitely do so because that's how you build your fan base even further with your stand up. And if you can do, you know, you can do like you can headline it for your fan base, then definitely do that and just do your own shows and sell your own spaces. Well, oh, I think, yeah. I think we should try to help boost your your fan base here, man. How, oh, thanks, how can man. people uh, <laughs> how can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. And then from there, you can find everything else I do, uh, like Twitter and everything like that. And so it's just at Stephen Gabor. Um, and that's kind of the best way to kind of keep in touch with what I kind of do. Everything is from Instagram and then it kind of filters out everywhere else. Okay. And so. Gabor is G-H-A. You can spell yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Stephen with a V and then Gabor G-H-A-B-B-O-U-R. Okay. Yeah. So I'm getting ready to write right now to kind of just drop some videos I've been editing and I'm messing around with um, and just kind of playing around with the different ideas and things like that as well too. So yeah, definitely check them out. I think they're pretty fun. I'm having a lot of fun with them. It's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm excited. I'll, I'll check them out for sure. You're a super, super cool guy. Super oh, funny. Thanks, so keep doing great work and uh, thanks for coming by. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. <laughs> it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Dedic Podcast. 